Welcome to another episode of Legit Cool. It's the first time I've actually done an intro first. Yes. And a the while. A little bit off the charge. It's amazing, isn't it? The difference that it makes, we, we just feel a bit more uh, structured. Yeah, this feels yeah. real, man. First time. This is real. This is real. <laughs> we're first time podcasters. Like, we're episode 56 now. This is, uh, as of this recording, episode 56, which seems like... I don't know. Does that seem like a lot? That's a lot to me. I mean, it's not a lot in the world of podcasting, I'm sure. Because, but like, like I've I've been doing this since November. I remember it was like mid November, I think it was, or the end of November, two thousand and twenty. Oh, so you're slow because like, oh no, sorry, two thousand twenty-one. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good then. I was going to say twenty twenty. That's like a, a pretty slow to get to fifty-six, but. Yeah, so it's over a year. Uh, yeah. This will be the second year coming to this November. What, what are your thoughts? Like, do you, do you love it? Do you still love it as much as you did when you started? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to assassinate my own podcast by saying this. <laughs> okay, do it. Let me hear it. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, I Like, fundamentally, I love doing podcasting because I just really enjoy talking about movies and TV yeah. series. But um, the whole work around, like, organizing a podcast, organizing recording, um, organizing the, uh, like, how to record, how to set up, um, things, like, these things take time. They don't actually happen just like that. And I feel like I should have a lot more automation now than I did when I first started. And I feel like I do. Like, I have some systems that are really, that work really well. Like, you know, having Note, for example, um, my design uh, features for yeah. the whole thing, you know, my the brand and the logo that I designed for Logical Podcast. There is some kind of system to it, but it's not as um, strict as my systems that I apply for when I design for clients. Yeah, so right. So when I do it for myself, it's a little bit all over the place. Uh, like when you see my, my design board, um, I can show you actually sometime my design board for um the logo and the branding <laughs> and it's 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 a spread of like all these different ideas and brainstorming which is it's it's cool but there is no real workflow system to it as opposed to what i normally do for my clients that i do graphic design for yeah right so so there are some systems in place but i just feel like it should be more automated than it should be so you've accepted like, inefficiencies and it's gotten to a point where you're like frustrated by it not necessarily frustrated. It's just got to a point where I'm like, yeah, it's inefficient right now. And yeah. it's, it's, I think part of it is because I don't prioritize this amongst all my professional work that I get yeah. paid for. Right. And that makes sense, um, man. Like it's, it's hard yeah. to prioritize something. <laughs> that, yeah. It's, it's hard to prioritize something when you're not uh, like getting paid for it directly. It's hard to kind of <clears throat> be that organized or meticulous if you're not getting paid for it. So, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I love talking about movies on a podcast. I love talking about TV series on a podcast. I love interacting with you, Nath, uh, JC, um, and anybody who wants to be on the podcast and nerd out on films. I love that interaction. So the moments that, like in the moments, like in the now, you know, when we're yeah. recording and stuff, it's it's fun. Like I love it. But it's the set up. It's the set up. It's yeah. the lead up to it. It's eventually I want to. In an ideal world, like I get to a point where I'm popular enough. <laughs> um, hello, anybody listening? Share it with your friends. Hello. Yeah. Uh, when the podcast is popular enough, then I can 
get it monetized so that I can outsource all this work to people that I can pay for, you know, to, yeah, right, to get it okay. done. So, so you automate, automate it with humans and other people that can actually assign work to it as opposed to me just doing everything, you know, because I even do the video editing, I do the social yeah, media rough, content. Man. Sometimes you do it like straight away too. It's crazy. Dude, if I don't do it straight away, I, it'll linger for such a long time and I'll never get back to it for a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's one thing that is kind of auto, like quote unquote automated for me is that when we finish recording, I jump on uh, some design stuff for the social media content. Yeah. And then I publish it straight away and then I know it's done. I know this particular one was pretty hard to schedule. Like we were, we were <laughs> having issues with this for like weeks. That was my fault, right? Uh, it was a bit of both. I think I was a little bit difficult to get sometimes as well. I think it was your fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can complain for it. I mean, yesterday was sort of me. I'm just like, hey, eight o'clock. Yes or no. And then you can do it. So I think I just, uh, well, I think I just assumed that we we're going to do it like later in the afternoon. Yeah. It's uh, a fair um, assumption, actually. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we probably should have been clear about it. But nonetheless, we, we finally made it. We're here now. We can finish off we're the energy. Yeah, I know. People who have been waiting, which is probably a total of two people waiting to hear the Curie 3 review. But It's a uh, surprisingly popular film, according to this audience review score. It's pretty popular, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I'm excited that we get to finish it. Put it that way. Yeah, no, it's good to finish our goals, man. Things that we start, things that we finish. <laughs> it's good to have them be the same thing. Love it. Um, okay, so Creed 3, finishing off our entire trilogy. Um, this is a new director. Um, actually, same as the previous one was a new director as well. But this is the first time that Michael B. Jordan has directed a film. So this was surprising also, because I had just seen it today, by the way, Creed 3. <laughs> Wait, you held it off till now? I held it off until, like, with all, with all the Creed films, I've actually been holding it off until we actually start filming. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just watched it. Um, I finished watching it about half an hour ago. I, I watched it um, last week. So it's, right. it's a bit, bit old. <clears throat> We've had time to simmer on it. Whereas my opinions right now might not be a true reflection. However, when we got to get to the recap, it'd probably be a proper reflection. It gets teased well. out. Uh, that's how we do things usually, eh? That's how we do things. And so I already knew that it was Michael B. Jordan's first film. And knowing that and watching the film, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how good it was for his first film. Uh, for someone who you only really block box act as an actor, you don't immediately think that or imply that he's going to be good at other mediums within filming. So I was kind of surprised that he, it was quite good for his uh, directorial debut. Uh, the other thing I was surprised at is that Ryan Coogler gets writing credits for this. Oh, yeah. Now, how much writing credits he gets for this, I'm not sure because there's three writers. Well, Keegan, which I think is his brother or cousin, and a guy called Zach Balin. Don't know who that is. Um, but as far as the rest of the cast goes, like everybody is back, uh, with some new additions. We've got Tessa, not Tessa Thompson, <laughs> Well, she's back accordingly, according to our stark review about her and not being really that well. But she was very number two, wasn't she? I think she was... <laughs> number two, number two, she was much more important. We'll please with her there. Yeah. Mm. And actually she's quite important in this, in this film as well. I think I reckon I still think they could have done more with her, but um, 
she definitely has much more screen time. Yeah. Mm. But maybe it's just I'm expecting maybe too much, perhaps. Yeah, putting too much pressure on her after her great stand-up performance in Creed 2. Yeah, she, she, one she jumped the out one. there. You know what? She, 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 the breakout star of Creed 2, Tessa Thompson. Yeah. That's it. Um, so the new faces that we have in this film is Jonathan Majors, obviously, who plays the villain. Seems to be um, on this kind of trend of being a villain. <laughs> First, he's a villain in Loki. Then he's a, la- a villain in Ant-Man 3. And now he's a villain in Creed three, and apparently he's a r- villain in real life. So, <laughs> oh yeah, like, do you know much about like what's going to happen with him? Like, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Marvel hasn't actually done any formal announcements about his involvement in the MCU. Yeah. Okay. Um, whether they're going to recast, they haven't actually done anything to announce. They've actually remained fairly quiet. There's a lot of like articles from different news publications you know as you would right when there's controversy there's always new news articles whether they're whether they're correct or incorrect or slightly misleading whatever um all i know is that i think jonathan majors is an amazing actor and all this bad press has come about of him being this uh accused um woman beater or whatever it is it's uh there's a video of it i haven't seen it but i heard there's a video I haven't seen the video either and like whatever is happening in his life and her life and whatever it's, it's, it's kind of like in some respects, I don't care. Like I just care about watching film and watching performances. However, there's a little caveat on that, right? Like you obviously don't want to support people in their careers if they are like woman beaters, you know, (laughs) like you, you don't want to support somebody who is, um, morally obstruct to you and what you believe. I think that's difficult. Mm. But then again, it's like, does that make you a bad person for watching their content? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. It's like, oh, it's more like, like, should you do a boycott? Well, like, let's yeah. say Marvel. Let's say, for example, we watch the videos, right? And we're like, we we abhor what we see. And then Marvel mm. like decide, you know, we're going to keep Jonathan Majors on. Should we then do a boycott? Because it's on to us to... I don't know. It's, um, yeah. Have that moral standard. It's, it's sort of a, it's moral ambiguity in my eyes because what about the rest of the things that we get ourselves involved in as well, such as the purchase of iPhones? Like, should we stop purchasing iPhones? Yeah. <laughs> should we stop purchasing, like, um, household brands that are all be made in sweatshops? Like, do we, are we okay with that? I mean, all, all these kind of areas of moral ambiguity can be, um, can show like a lot of misunderstanding on how we direct our lives and the kind of things that we prioritize and the things that we let go or the things that we allow for. Um, I think boycotting someone like uh, Jonathan Majors kind of shuts the door on any any potential forgiveness or restitution that one could have. So, um, yeah. I don't think shutting down a famous person or just an individual just because that person has done something wrong is any way forward for society to, to develop. Mm. Yeah. That's a fair point. I feel like people always want to see like, you know, they see, they want to see the punishment happen and then they enjoy that, that return. Right. Like it's always, it's actually kind of, I don't know. I want to say it's like a Rocky thing, but like this idea that, you know, if he just sort of keeps on going with these films, I have a feeling people will be mad. But let's say, for example, he gets kicked out of Marvel, goes back mm-hmm. to theater, builds himself back up again. They'll they'll mm-hmm. love him in like five years or whatever. I feel yeah. like is what the 
you know, narrative would be. I mean, I think you have to give people opportunities to show that that there is restitution mm-hmm. and also give people um, a better sense of uh, moral direction in their life by allowing for forgiveness to be a thing in their own lives and the way they observe it. So this happened after Ant-Man, I'm guessing, right? Because we didn't talk about this during yeah. Ant-Man. That happened right. after Ant-Man, yeah. It was the yeah, whole incident in the taxi or something like that or an yeah, Uber. Right. Yeah. Well, in any I'm case... Not sure. In any case, don't want to divulge in that too much. <laughs> um, some new faces. We also have the, uh, what's his Oh, Jose Benavides, who plays Felix Chavez. I think, is he potentially a real boxer? I think he might. Uh, I didn't actually look that up because I know that the previous boxers have been real boxers. Um, if you want to look that up, that'll be good. Yeah, professional boxer. Oh, there we go. He's quite good at it too. That, that's the cool, right, right. That's the cool thing about uh, these Creed films is that they get real boxers to be a part of it. Yeah, and like they're reasonably good actors too. Like I, I thought that yeah, Conlon did a pretty good job. I mean, realistically, mm. they're acting as boxers, right? So it shouldn't should be too hard. Too hard. <laughs> yeah, like, I think the only challenge for them would come in the form of uh, reading scripts and reading dialogue. Yeah, because the dialogue is essentially not them. Right, you're sort of creating dialogue according to the character that you're inventing for the film, so that can be a little bit of a challenge. But I can imagine guys like Michael B. Jordan um, giving them enough freedom to be themselves, with maybe using the script as a dial as a, as a guideline, as opposed yeah, to yeah, uh, I, I wonder you to like, read word for word, like a bullet point thing, right? Like hey, hey you know, in this one, you're meant to be like, you're not meant to be happy with this guy. Okay, go, mm. yeah. Can I imagine like these professional boxers being like, what? I lose fights in this film? Come on. <laughs> you crazy, man. I am yeah. so good. I, I am lose. the champ. I can't lose. Uh, yeah, so it's um, so we have that guy. He's a new guy. We have uh, Laura Chavez, who plays the mother of Felix Chavez. Um, we have a guy. Oh, actually, Victor Drago's back as well, which is right. kind of a surprise as well. I think the character's name was Laura Chavez. You're talking about Salinas Lever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salinas Leia. Maybe? I don't yeah, know. Salinas Leia plays Laura Chavez, Chavez, the mother of Felix Chavez. Um, and then Victor Drago is back, uh, which is kind of surprising too. I didn't realize they were going to rope a bunch of uh, actors from previous films. Um, the other guy that they wrote back was, uh, what's his face? I actually don't have it in the, in the, um, uh, show notes here, but, uh, the other guy came back, the Irish guy, he did an, an appearance. The one that Conlon guy, the, the boxer Conlon. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. He makes an appearance in this as well. At the, at the start. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. a fair point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the uh, young actors playing the young versions of Donnie and um, what's the name? Damien. Um, a guy called Thaddeus J. Mixon, who plays Adonis Creed at the age of 15. And then Spencer Moore the second plays Damien Anderson, who is 18 years old. So three years uh, difference between the two characters, because they make that a point that Damien's character played by, Jonathan Majors is older than um, uh, Adonis Creed. Mm. This uh, film had a runtime of one hour and 56, so they still sort of keep with the same formula in all the previous Creed films where they're all around about the two-hour mark. Um, the budget was $75 million with a total box office 
world intake of 273.9 million. Um, this was released on March 3rd this year. So we're not too far off from uh, <laughs> doing our reviews, not too um, far in it, like far later. This is not too to, bad considering what we normally do. Yeah, what we normally do is like, <laughs> what feels like years later, but it's like You're good with later. Marvel, but you're bad with other stuff, I feel like. It's probably true. Oh, yeah, except for the um, TV series, Rings of Power. Like, we were pretty, we were pretty solid on right? for that, yeah. It was like every episode we, we had to rush, record. though. We did like three in a row once. That's right. That's right. That was a long three hour, three in a row. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. <clears throat> um, the Rotten Tomatoes score is 88% at critic rating and 96% for the audience rating. I'm kind of surprised by this. Yeah, I, th- I think I think this audience rating is actually larger, larger or higher than Creed Two and Creed One. Yeah, and I, I mean, spoiler alert for anyone who cares about my opinion. I did not agree with that. Like, mm. I think this is definitely worse than two, definitely worse than one. Weakest mm. of the series, in my opinion. Right. So yeah, right. surprised. Okay, the critic consensus from. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is stepping out from Rocky Balboa's iconic shadow at last. The Creed franchise re, uh, reasserts its champion status thanks to Michael B. Jordan's punchy direction and a nuanced heel turn by Jonathan Majors. Um, and just a short part on what the plot of the film or the synopsis of the film. After dominating the boxing world, Adonis Creed uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, has been thriving in both his career and family life. When a childhood friend and former boxer prodigy, Damien, a.k.a. Jonathan Majors, resurfaces after serving a long sentence in prison, he is eager to prove that he deserves his shot in the ring. The face-off between former friend is more than just a fight. To settle the score, Adonis must put his future on the line to battle Damien, a fighter who has nothing to lose. Okay, so you know how it works. First impressions. Um, why don't you take away? Okay. Ooh, okay, I'll start. I, was, I didn't hate the film. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I've been pretty negative in the last like sort of minute. Oh, here we go. That's a good start. I don't didn't hate, hate it. Um, key highlights. I thought the performances were good. I thought Jonathan Majors had this. You know, like a lot of people, like when they're villains, they they feel this need to be like extra villainous or or you know play a character without any. Um, nuance or anything like that i felt like he did a really good job of acting like a guy who really determined willing to do anything he he could but also kind of socially awkward um he did that quite well and someone who like played sort of the meek role at the start and whether or not like that's how he actually felt in awe of all these people around him or maybe he was like putting it on to try and like lull um adonis into a false sense of security he does a good job of it either way I would hope that he actually felt that way. It wasn't like he's a genuine mastermind because that would actually weaken his character, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I thought Adonis was, you know, like like Michael B. Jordan does a good job in acting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the other things I love. That's it. Thank movie. you very much. Um, I thought the fight scenes were good. Like the first one with Conlon, I thought was really, really cool. Um, there was this sort of, I read this article about how Michael B. Jordan loves anime and he wanted to put like anime influences in this um, film. Is that what it was? Oh yeah. my goodness. That Okay. I won't get into my own, but like real quickly, some of the visuals I just didn't like at all. 
Ah, okay. And but, I was wondering what it was like. What is the style that he's going for? Maybe it was that because like he talks about it, and in the first fight, uh, and maybe we're sort of cutting into recap a little bit, and then I just won't talk about it again. Like he does this thing where like he's dodging this combo like five or six times, and like they zoom in on his eyes, watching it, and then at the end he like defeats the combo super easily, right? And I just kind of like when the fight scenes make sense. And that was kind of like an anime trope where like the main character's like, you know, lulling the person into false sense of security and he's like he's like learning, 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 and then he executes. Thought it was cool. I enjoyed that. And it showed like how um Michael B. Jordan's character is now like actually a great boxer. Because there's a big time skip in this film, right? Um so yeah, that was the, one of the things I really liked. The things I don't like a lot of the characters, I think, have emotional things happen that aren't resolved very well. There's probably a little bit too much of that from all these different directions. Um, the mode of... I think the actions of the characters don't really make a lot of sense a lot of the time. Like, Damien's character cheats in one fight, but then he doesn't cheat against Adonis. Don't know why. Um, the main sort of plot was, I felt, like, a little bit weak in the sense that, like, it's just because he didn't get these letters and people just don't communicate anymore. Like that was kind of frustrating for me. That trope is frustrating. Um, and look, I think the recap might make this stronger for me, but I I really didn't think that like Tessa Thompson's character, uh, they didn't, they do, didn't do as much with it as I wanted. Like I understand that she had like an analogy of she's given up her career and he kind of has two and they both struggling with it. But that, catharsis of them sort of getting on the same page and understanding what they've both given up was just not very strong so all the things that i think should have hit really hard didn't um and the last thing i'm going to mention is the final fight which i think you had issues with from your conversation i thought that was pretty shitty like it, it wasn't very good and i understand what he was trying to do and i've read articles about him explaining it and it's just i don't think it was very good and i've seen other critics say that it's like groundbreaking and great, and I just don't see it. Yeah, there was a moment when the last fight was happening. Um, I looked, I just looked away for a second. I think I went to like grab something from the fridge. Um, so I, I didn't miss like a chunk of it, but I, I went to grab something, came back, and I was round like, 10. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there were so many rounds, but then also I was like, what is the setting that he's fighting in right now? <laughs> Do you know the, the part of oh, the they're in like a bamboo cage or something, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Are we still watching the same movie? So I actually read about that before I saw the film. And I was actually like G'd up for it. I was thinking, this is going to be great. Yeah, and but also you don't, you've probably made a scenario in your head of what it could look like. You didn't know contextually what it was going to look like. Yeah. And it's just mm. like way worse, but really quick. Like uh, – I, when he explained it in the interview, I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be like a very, very emotionally charged fight. And again, with all of this backstory, it should be, but it's not. And it's over really fast. Yeah. Yeah. When we get to that, we'll, we'll talk more about that last fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. So for me, the key highlights were performances. I'm actually the same with you. I think the performances are quite strong, especially for an antagonist like, um, uh, Jonathan Majors, he had a surprising amount of um, depth to his reasons for wanting to come back and be a fighter. And I think if it wasn't for those flashbacks, then it probably would have been a little bit hollow. But also 
we wouldn't have um, maybe gained enough insights to his character as well if we didn't have those flashbacks. Um, my issue with the flashbacks is <clears throat> they needed they needed to have got like better actors, <laughs> like uh, casting those kids. They they look nothing like the actors <laughs> for starters. And I think the acting is okay. I just think they could have done a better job at scouting kids that looked a lot closer to them. Um, you're just kind of like, okay, I get it. Like my my make believe scenario for films is is I'm gonna forgive it just because I know this is about trying to give some backstory to the characters, mm. and I kind of like that. And and I think it works because you have good actors, you have good people playing these roles later on in their adult life, right? I think it only works because of that. If 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 there are bad actors, then you have to rely on the backstories to have more credibility for what the current story is going to be, right? Because the current story is about him trying to get revenge in some ways, but also just get his reputation back as being the greatest boxer. Now, the only thing about that is that there wasn't enough backstory. This is the thing mm-hmm. is like there was – backstory but there wasn't enough for me to think okay he really wants to be the champion of the world right yeah him wanting to be the champion of the world only becomes apparent because he comes back after 18 years of being in jail uh that had nothing to do with what we learned or we didn't learn any of that kind of stuff when they were younger they were just a bunch of hood kids got into a lot of trouble um and he was good at boxing like he had one boxing match that we saw him as a kid when he's 18 years old and he beats him, and that's about it. That's the only clue, which I would even say is not even a clue <laughs> yeah. to him wanting, like, hungry for this title of being the world champion. So I I get that, you know, there's only so much stuff they can do on the screen time, but, like, as the movie was going, I was sort of piecing together how they could have structured this a lot different so that you allow for other parts of the story to breathe. Um and other parts to just not really be a part of it. <laughs> um, so some other key highlights is um, I, I like the the daughter. I think the daughter's kind of cute. Like, you know, being a, <laughs> being a deaf daughter, I remember like, you know, that was a big point of um, what happened in Creed 2 because, you know, part of their contention and what brought them together was the fact that their daughter was going to be deaf as well. Um, so she's kind of a good point in this. Um, I like the family dynamics. It's much stronger, I think, in this film, only because you're giving more time to the to those elements, to those family elements. Um, I, the cinematography was good for the most part, but the biggest thing that I didn't like about this, which I'm going to get into um, some of my lowlights here, <laughs> is the use of focus pooling and this this has to come from Michael B. Jordan. I'm pretty sure this is what he wanted the film to look stylistically because who else would it come from? Um, it's just the focus or the choice of focus pulling. I don't know if it's focus pulling. Maybe it's just like a static but focus. What's focus pulling for people who don't know anything about film? Um, okay. So you guys don't know anything about film? Jeez, why are you listening? <laughs> focus pulling is it, it's something that happens um, proactively when you're filming. Okay, so when you're watching a scene and it's just it's un it's uncut, right? Um, 
you're not chopping up the scene or anything. It might focus on one thing and then pull its focus to something else that might be important for the director, for the viewer. Oh, so it's like when things like blur live. Yeah, yeah. The things that blur out are the things that the director doesn't want you to see. And then um, whatever is in focus is what the director wants to draw your attention to. So it's when it shifts in the same shot. It's where it shifts in the same shot, yes. Yeah, okay, um, cool. So it's not something that is is done, edited, and cut, and then you move to another scene where it's like unfocused and then focused or whatever. Um, it's something that's happening within that one shot. Now, I don't think this is focus pulling. I think this is more static focus where um, he – any shot – I don't think it was every single shot, by the way. It was just a few shots where he deliberately showed lots of focus, like in the center part right and then the outer the outer center if there's a circle right in the middle of the circle is fully clear there's a lot of clarity and then outside of that circle it's all blurred out right so it's almost um it's almost like how you would do photography or something but except that this is in film and i found that to be really annoying i found it to be stylistically just look terrible i just, I just thought it was a bad idea to do something like that i just do it um, all the time yeah, like he just decided to arbitrarily do it in sequences that just, I don't know why he would do it in those sequences. Um, he did it quite a few times in the fight sequences too, but um, there were some dialogue parts, like for example, when they're at the party, the label party. he done it in between him and uh, uh, Damien when they're talking. He did that specific focus i was like what is this and it's all blurry on the outside so it just like kicks you out of the film yeah because it's just too distracting you don't actually need to have that kind of style in a film now if it's a photo that makes sense but if it's a film everything is moving so you're kind of like um with this weird blurred thing on the on the outside it's just weird um the other thing is that i i think this movie suffers a bit from its pace And I think it's it's, it's pace in, in the sense of there's there's all this build up and all this lead up to the fight between Damien and the current world champion Chavez, and the whole movie is centered around that. I would say a good eighty percent of the film is the build up to that, and really? then oh yeah, you and might then, be right, yeah, and then the last like. I was actually, like, I looked at the runtime because I was trying to look at, like, how long this movie was going to be leading up to us recording this. <laughs> but I looked at the runtime, and by the time Michael B. Jordan starts fighting and preparing for this, there's, like, 16 minutes left in the film. Right. <laughs> that's actually, yeah, okay. That's, that's I was like, wow. I was going to tell you, like, oh no, goodness. that can't be right. But then you're right. Like, it makes sense, though, in the sense that, like, he establishes himself as a villain after that fight, and then he has to be like slayed, in a way. Like, yeah, but it's 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 so odd because I think the way Michael B. Jordan paced this film was wasn't in the favor of him being the last ultimate fight. It was not in that favor. It just all of a sudden is like, oh, oh, that's right. We need this story to end on a cliffhanger. Not not a cliffhanger. We need the story to end on a big haymaker left hook by me being the main protagonist to save the day. It's like there wasn't enough time left in the story <laughs> yeah, to really flesh that out because, and you know what made it worse is that they kind of, um, they assassinated themselves a little bit by sh- like showing us and telling us the imperfections of Creed. Like he's 
he's got fractured this and he's got broken this and he's got like concussion this all when they're doing that montage scene of him training which gives you more reason to think well then shouldn't we be spending more time on this for him like to prepare for the fight (laughs) right because like you think like it's actually a pretty engaging story that he's this broken down man yeah yeah and do do you know why i sort of picked it up straight away it's because the movie had been going for a very long time and i was like at what point are they going to start changing the story so that it's all about the lead up and the build up to Creed fighting him? Because we're like, geez, I'm pretty sure we're like way over halfway and we haven't even touched that story of how he is going to eventually be the fighter at the end. Like the whole movie spends like its entire narrative talking about um, Damien and his his build up and his purpose to wanting to become a world champion, and then his wanting to become uh, to to face Chavez because he he believes deep down inside that he can beat him. Um, we spent so much time on that, and literally the last sixteen minutes, it's like, oh yeah, Creed needs to fight him, because because I because I knew that the, the movie was about Creed fighting him. I mean, the poster is that. Yeah, the poster uh, like them to look and, at each other, and, right? And, like, the whole time when I'm watching the film, I'm like, when is he actually going to start, like, hinting that he's going to fight? Like, there's no time left. What, like, are they actually going to yeah. fight? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, like, man, they've got an uphill battle um, to really make me convinced that this, the fight that they're going to have at the end is going to mean something. And yeah. it was all, like, crammed right at the end. I was like, wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's some pacing issues right there. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, other than the like other low lights, I don't think there's many other low lights. Oh, I'd say like the emotion uh, of the film, which I think Creed One and Two does really well. Yeah, and Creed Three, I just don't think there is that deep emotion. You know, like for example, when the mother dies. Yeah, I didn't feel any of that at all. <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, and that's the thing, someone's dying. Like, I feel like they've tried hard to make a lot of emotional things. Like, uh, the, the mother is dying. That's a very emotional thing. These kids mm. are getting abused in a family home, and he's, like, struggling to sort of deal with it. Like, that's a very emotional thing. But I just feel like this film is kind of all over the place with, mm. like, just throwing this stuff at you, and they don't give anything time to breathe. It's just... Um, no, no. And, and yeah. I think that's where the limits of someone like Michael B. Jordan doing his first movie as a director, that's where it becomes a lot more evident that he's not giving enough time for these powerful moments to happen for these characters. Um, and to also use these powerful moments as a good source of motivation for the characters to do something outside of what their character would normally do, you know, like outrageous bursts or um you know do some even more and more crazy training compared to like what he's done in the first and the second one you know that could have been a really good way to develop that character and flesh it out because you don't want to repeat and rinse like rinse and repeat the same thing or the same montage right you want the montage to probably be a bit more challenging for him because you know who knows like if it's more challenging for him then maybe that gives it us more credibility or give the character more credibility to actually beat someone like Damien, right? So I don't know, like it, it was rushed, didn't focus en- enough on the other characters that probably should have, and the emotion just wasn't there. Yep, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, with that being said, we should uh, recap. Let's do it. You ready for the recap? Let's hear that noise. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> recap noise. The recap transition noise. There it is. Wait, that's not it. Dude, that feels quieter. There it is. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that yeah. feels different. It feels like Christopher Nolan hasn't had anything to eat. <laughs> inside joke, people. Inside joke. Um, okay, so the recap, if you haven't... Um, if you haven't listened to the Legit Cool podcast before, uh, the recap is basically us going through the entire film uh, through its plot, uh, talking about the plot in depth, and we interject whenever we want and make a comment or make a short review on any of these parts of the story. Okay, so we break this up into the classic uh, three-act structure that a film normally is, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Um, and yeah, we just kind of go comb through it and make comments. So we're going to start off with the first act. All right. So um, in 2002, Los Angeles, a young Adonis, Donny Creed, sneaks out with his best friend, Golden Gloves uh, champion, Damien, a.k.a. Diamond Dame Anderson, to watch him compete in an underground boxing match. After Dame's victory... He tells Donnie about his aspirations to turn professional and become a world champion. During a detour at a liquor store, Donnie impulsively attacks a man named Leon, and Dame is arrested while Donnie escapes. Oh, okay, so I actually don't remember him mentioning that. Um, he says to to Creed. Actually, yeah, I was going to say. Did um, he say that? I didn't want to like shit on your lowlights, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he, like, they go... Like they're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be the best man. I'm gonna go to the Olympics, and then I'm gonna go be professional. Oh, does he say that? Okay. And then the other, and then like Donnie's like, yeah, that's cool. Right. But interesting thing yeah. about this Act One, like you don't learn all about this. Like this synopsis says it's all happening at the start, and in like sort of real human timeline way, like it is. Mm-hmm. But you know, you kind of see them go to the underground boxing match, and then a little bit later, you see the the fight, and then you never you don't see Donnie getting away from um the cops until like 80% of the way through the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any issues with this sort of flashback sequence. I'm not sure what your thoughts were. I thought it was like reasonably well acted and gave a bit of background to Adonis. Yeah. I know. I thought it was good. I had a cynical moment though. A oh, cynical no. moment was like, Oh, so this is your reason to create a third film is because you're going to go back in time and, <laughs> yeah. and go to somebody that he used to partner with on the streets. And again, he's going to come back as an older person and blah, blah, blah. Very, very predictable. Um, hey, let's take you back in time to show you what's going to happen in prison time. So a bit of a cynical like mindset, but I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Let's just roll with yeah. it. <laughs> I sort of feel like with these kind of films, there's only, a certain number of storylines that are possible. Yeah, there's only a certain <laughs> amount of ideas that you could actually make for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't going to rag on it too much, but yeah. Um, but the first thing came to mind, like what I said before, was the kids look nothing like the actors. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really, like, these two, these two kids are supposed to be Donnie and Damon. Like they want one guy to be darker and one guy to have a longer head, and that's kind of <laughs> probably about as far as they went. To be fair, yeah. I kind of liked the premise. I don't think it actually works out that well, but I like the premise of this being like an emotionally charged thing that goes all the way back to his childhood because, uh, to be honest, I thought the fact that he grew up in like a group home was an interesting setting that you don't get a whole lot to do with. Like in the first Creed film, they just touch on it when she adopts him. Um, and then he just kind of grows to become an accountant or whatever he is. I don't know what he is at the start of the film. But... Um, I was excited to hear that we were going to learn more about that sort of orphanage um, past. 
yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I started by the idea. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> In the present day, Donnie has retired from boxing to focus on his wife, Bianca, and their daughter, Amara, whose hearing impairment has since led the family to become fluent in American Sign Language. By the way, I know a little bit of American Sign Language. Oh, nice. Well, when I say a little bit, I learned a song in ASL, and that's what I know about ASL. Yeah, the song that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I know like basic things like thank you and um, uh, that's all I can think about at the moment. <laughs> it's been a long time. Through the song. Time. What's that? And then everyone's on the podcast is just hearing silence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to do the rest of the podcast in ASL. <laughs> um, Donnie runs Delphi, Delphi Boxing Academy with Tony, a.k.a. Little Duke Evers Jr. We remember him from the previous Creed films. He is a boxing coach. Yeah. Um, and is promoting his protege, world champion Felix, a.k.a. El Guerrero uh, Chavez, in a match against Victor Drago, who was... The previous films, um, Antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. While the two watched the declining health of Donnie's adoptive mother, Marianne, Amara Amara aspires to become a boxer like uh, like Donnie, which gets her into trouble at school for punching another student. Hmm. Now, whether this plot is correct or accurate to... Amara aspiring. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that I at all. Like she's just later. A... No, she doesn't even act like she wants to be a boxer. She just wants to learn how to punch, right? I mean, yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of a stretch, you know, for them to try and create this character narrative for the daughter to become an aspiring boxer. Like, didn't even get any of that. She doesn't really have much to say. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, she's just a sort of fun little kid who gets bullied and she like, punches. You must like joke. Oh, sorry. I said she doesn't have much to say. (laughs) Man. That's a low blow. That's a low blow. But I was going to say, like, um, like, I remember you mentioned that she was cute. And, like, she's cute. But uh, I don't know what she adds. I know that she was born, so she must exist. And, like, she's showing – and maybe it's, like, not a crime that that she doesn't Mm. really add a whole lot. Like, she shows that – you know, Adonis is like a, a family man now, and he's like he's learnt sign language, so he's I don't know, like I, I don't actually know what it does because you know in this film, like they like him and his wife have a fight because he's refusing to talk to her about these things, and it feels a little bit hollow because it's such an easy conversation to have. I feel like mm-hmm. so to to have this sort of um, juxtaposed ideas of like he's such a great father, he um, learnt sign language for his daughter, which probably should be the bare minimum, really. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the other side, he's like refusing to tell his wife critical parts of his childhood. And I understand the way they try and play it off, but it just seems odd to me that they would get married and live this life and she doesn't know anything about what he was doing before Hmm. 12. Well, I mean, I would say that that kind of works in favor of his character because his character is something that he's been trying to run away from. Um, He doesn't like his past and he doesn't want to dig that up again. So I can understand that they would that would cause a lot of friction in their relationship. You know, she's, she's always suspected that he's got secrets and he never really want to share them. And then this movie highlights a lot about that kind of stuff and creates yeah, that tension. I so. so I actually didn't mind it. Like I actually thought that was quite good for both the characters, but coming back to the, with the daughter needed to be in this. 
you take the daughter away, it didn't wouldn't really matter at all. <laughs> the daughter yeah, it's like I felt nothing. That. I know um, she must exist, right? But like, yeah, but um, for them, for them to kind of go, oh yeah, she has this like, she has this little thing where she's aspiring to be the box. It's like it's another piece of unnecessary narrative that only just ruins, not ruins, but just takes up unnecessary screen time. Yeah, um, just, and yeah, and it's not even yeah. enough for you to go, oh yeah, yeah, she wants to be a boxer by the end. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. Because, like, the thing is, like, and we complain about this a lot, and I kind of feel like a bit of a broken record, so I apologize for that. But, like, it's a two-hour film. I feel like a lot of things don't have the emotional punch they should. And, like, there's, you know, you see her at the start. I reckon you keep that scene because you show Creed being a good dad. You see him having tea time. But Mm -hmm. then there's that scene where she's bullying. She punches. um, They're going to the principal and, like, trying to figure out what's going on. They fight about how to raise her. And then Creed like secretly teaches out a box. I don't know what I'm taking away from these scenes, and there, there's a fair amount of time invested in those. Like I don't know what I'm meant to take away from them. Yeah, yeah, true. I, I can see how that that can be problematic. But what I took away from these scenes is that it's it's going to, well, it's alluding to this idea that they will become stronger as a couple and as a family when they're able to navigate their way around these conflicts that they're having you know just like yeah, everyday like, family stuff but the thing is like she they've got this really perfect conflict in she wants to know what's going on and why he's so distant and um what happened in the past do we need like from a pure like sort of literary point of view do we actually need the second conflict or could we just get away with that first one because that one's actually the more emotionally charged one um, and sure, in real life, they people have two conflicts all the time. But in a film, I feel like you kind of want it to be tight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think this is where the inexperience comes in for um, Michael B. Jordan. He's probably thinking, okay, I want this to mirror like a real life situ- a scenario as much as I can, but not bear in mind what the story is supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, and I think that's what Michael B. Jordan was really doing here. So um, it's it probably weighs into having bad pacing, you know, and not actually spending enough time on the really important factors of the film, um, which is, you know, you you focus so much on that that fight, you know, being Chavez and Damien. <laughs> the focus was on that so much that they almost like forgot that what the rest of the story is, go- is supposed to be. <laughs> actually, I wanted to ask a question here. Like, what did you think about the time skip that, like, you know, you've seen one where he gets his start. You see two where he's a champion, I think. Mm-hmm. And then number three, he's pretty much retired. Like, are you okay with that? Like, No. Right, okay. <laughs> I don't think I am. I was I was shocked, actually, to think that he's in his retirement phase. Yeah. I was like, really? Shouldn't you spend – shouldn't Creed three be about him defending the title? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> is he it in two? He doesn't, right? He's got it in two. He's a champion in two. Yeah, he's the champion too. Like he loses the first one and then he comes back. Yeah, like you really don't get a lot of. Um, you don't get a lot of him like being the champion or anything, which is kind of disappointing. I feel like this movie would have benefited a lot more of him being. It's focused on him defending the title, and then his like the biggest threat and the biggest match that he would ever come across is actually his best mate from when he was younger. You know, it's actually kind of interesting. I have this theory, and I haven't thought it through yet. I've been thinking about it as we've been talking. This film would have been better 
if he was the champion and Chavez didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to have Chavez there. I don't understand like what the choice what was the mindset around thinking, okay, hey, let's make uh Michael B. Jordan retire. Yeah. And then bring in someone else to be the distraction for the film, but then it's not a distraction because we're not hiding anything. You know, we're not hiding the fact that he eventually fights me at the end. I don't understand the choices here. <laughs> it doesn't actually make yeah, any sense. <laughs> I, I found that because like, I think like the idea of him being like fully retired, like um, the idea that like maybe he was having a retirement fight and that retirement fight might be Damien or something and then he loses and he decides to come back um, is like a powerful enough story and it's all centered on him and Damien, mm. right? I think Chavez is a weird distraction and I know that like maybe it plays off his guilt because he kind of sets up his protege's downfall. But mm-hmm. even that is handled really poorly because at near the end, um, it's kind of funny, right? Like he talks him into this fight, he gets brutalized, and then you never really hear from Chavez again. And then when Adonis Creed at the end of the film is walking into the ring to fight mm-hmm. Damien, Chavez is just there in the background, like, clapping. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, I remember like, that. Like, NPC, you know, just, like, in I, the back yeah. corner. I remember that, too. I remember thinking that was so odd. I was like, wait, shouldn't he be, like, super angry about this? Yeah. Thing? <laughs> like, shouldn't he be pissed that he's essentially ruined his career for a guy that he used to know? Yeah. Um, it was very yeah. odd. It was a very odd thing. I mean, Especially, and then the whole yeah. ma- the whole fight was like kind of uh, the whole fight just didn't feel earned at all because we rushed ourselves to that fight. Yeah, you know, and I it was just kind of it was a bit hollow, and I was like, "Damn!" You were the last fight, right? The last fight, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, um, let's quickly go through Act Two here. Um, So, released from prison, Dame reconnects with Donnie and shares his desire to resume his boxing career. Donnie reluctantly invites Dame to the gym, but his presence draws scorn from Chavez and Duke. Dame later visits Donnie's home, where he meets his family and recounts their time together at a group home, a story that Bianca had never heard of. Privately, Dame asks for a title shot against Chavez, but Donnie refuses. After Jago is attacked by an unknown assailant at a party for Bianca's record uh, record label, which casts doubt on his ability to participate in his upcoming fight, Donnie nominates Dame as Jago's replacement. Dame wins the undisputed heavyweight championship in a fight against Chavez at Crypto.com Arena. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know about you, but this for me was so predictable. When that fight breaks out in the party and there's that random dude that jumps in or the random dude starts the fight and yeah. he has the baton and shit and then um, Well you see Dame talking to the guy before the fight starts. So as the audience, you're not shocked at all, right? Like I, I remember wait, wait, what? you see Yeah, you see that like, like sort of having a shady conversation with this guy and then that guy beats up Drago. So Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't even remember that. <laughs> I just watched it. But it's super predictable because they show you, I think. Oh, I didn't even see that. Maybe it was one of those moments where I stood up to grab something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. Like, I, I guess I, I didn't have to. Yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't have to see that to know how obvious it was that he, he did the whole setup. Yeah, for sure. Just so he could get that fight with him. The thing that I never understood about this movie, and I still don't, I mean, like, okay, as I'm thinking about it, it's like it's starting to make sense, but in the film, I was confused by this. I never really understood how Donnie felt about Dame. Like, all mm. the history shows that Donnie loves Dame and mm. he feels regret and guilt. 
but then he would he should want to help so much more right he's got these like sort of comments of like if you need anything you know i'm there for you but it's like it's, it's reluctant and i think as we're talking through this and I'm thinking about it more, it's probably based on the fact that, like, Dame represents a part of his life that he's ashamed of, and he wants to run away from it. Yeah. But, but I, I think, think... Uh, I think uh, you, you raise a really good point there, that I also don't really know why they have this strange interaction with each other when they haven't seen each other for a long time. I get they haven't seen each other for a long time. That might be a little bit odd, but why isn't it like chummy? Why isn't it like, Oh, Hey man, so good to see you again. Well, cause like there was nothing in their flashbacks that indicated that they're on bad terms. Exactly. Like they're always on edge. They're always on edge. So I don't know. It was, it was kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. It's it. strange to me. And I think like, and one of the things that I've complained about in my mind, and again, as I, like, I, it's possible for me to construct a story that makes sense for this. Like, mm-hmm. one of the tropes I really hate in film is, and I'm jumping ahead here, is when um, a simple miscommunication causes the entire film's problem. The idea that his mum stole the letters, and so he doesn't write back to Dame, and Dame gets, like, really resentful, is an annoying trope for me. But... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's even worse. Yeah, I think it's like, I, I hate that. But then it's kind of worse in the sense that, like, if Donnie really felt guilt, he probably would have reached out to Dame. He wouldn't have needed to be reached out by Dame, right? Like, so there's probably something there that Donnie is kind of, like, shitty about. Um, if Dame was legitimately mad about Donnie for abandoning him, he should have revenge against Donnie as a much larger part of his like goal whereas it it kind of feels like he doesn't really need to take out donnie and doesn't really ever make an attempt to he just kind of like tries to get the title gets it and he's just reasonably happy being like that and so again the emotional charge of this film doesn't really make sense to me because of the actions of each of the characters but yeah 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 i mean all, all of those points are actually really really onto it Really, really on to a point. Um, and and especially the one, the biggest one for me is um, having such an awkward um, stepping on, always like walking on glass kind of uh, uh, attitude towards each other. You know, you yeah. always feel like they're not walking on glass, walking on eggshells. <laughs> yeah, it just feels weird. Like they're so um, like just odd with each other. And like, mm. I think like they kind of trying to like sort of like plant seeds into something but they never those, those seeds never grow so like i never know how they feel about each other kind of at the end um we'll get to it when we get to the end but one last thing i want to sort of bring up as well is i kind of hoped that um dame was better at boxing so while he um is training with chavez he looks really awkward and silly, and I was kind of hoping that it was kind of be, going to be one of those like checkmate situations where he was acting shit on purpose so that Donnie would give him a title shot, and then he would actually prove, oh no, I was boxing every day in, in prison, and prison's crazy hard, and I'm so good. But it's never really implied to be like that. Like he's kind of awkward, and then he just cheats a lot and wins. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that's. That's where actually that fight that he has against Chavez was so bizarre because he's getting away with cheating. Like, no way that in a real boxing match, mind you, I don't watch boxing at all, so maybe yeah. I'm talking completely out of line here. But um, I would I would uh, hazard a guess that 
everything that happened in that boxing match would never happen in real life right really? yeah I mean, <laughs> like I really... that, like the thing that he did the deliberate punch that he does to his shoulder which by the way i didn't know was an illegal thing <laughs> i looked it up it's not it's not illegal <laughs> you're allowed to punch people in the arm so he's not yeah, even like okay. that cheating in that film in, in that fight like it's I think there are, like, when he grabs people and does... Oh, when he elbows him. Elbow is super cheap. Elbow is cheap cheating, yeah. I know you can't use elbows in boxing. But the punch in the arm is apparently legal, but just kind of not recommended. Cause it's Why like, did they make such a big deal about it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of dirty, but not illegal. Mm, but, like, I just one of those why... kind of, like, uh, social contracts that you have between boxers. You just don't do that. Yeah, I, I understand why he had to do illegal things or cheaty things, because... Adonis needed to be mad, right? Like, if Adonis, if the other, if if Dame won correctly and Adonis was mad about it, then he's just like a bitch, right? So he has to cheat, and I get that, but um, he just, I don't know. I wanted him to be good because if he looks kind of crappy, then when Adonis beats him, it's not that impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I just thought that fight was a little bit odd, and I was like, that's how he's going to get the title. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so following the match, an uneasy Donnie visits Marianne, who shows him letters Dame had written to Donnie while in prison that she kept from him due to her believing that he was a bad influence. One letter contains a picture showing Dame with a fellow inmate that Donnie recognizes as Draco's assailant. Realizing Dame orchestrated the attack, Donnie confronts him, on the beach, by by the way, <laughs> and Dame admits that he manipulated him into getting the title shot. Donnie is unable to open up to Bianca, but about his guilt over Dame, who reveals in his newfound fame and publicly slanders Donnie as a fraud who turned his back on him. Okay, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about the scene where he goes onto the beach. Oh, actually, wait, can I talk one last thing about the fight? Yeah. The previous fight. So one thing no, I really don't like about this fight <laughs> is, you know how, like, so this is a throwback to um, cr- uh, Rocky 1. So in Rocky 1, right, the the general premise of the plot is that Apollo Creed, the champion at the time, is looking for a fight, there's no one to fight, and he chooses his opponent based purely on the name of that character, right? Um, and that's, the same as, that's kind of the same as Creed 1, in a way. Creed gets his shot because of his name. And... Um, it's not a real sort of, um, it's not a real person who deserves a shot, but it's a really interesting story. Like an underdog who, you know, is huge. And so. Which is what they talk about quite a lot in this movie. Um, not a lot, but I mean, you know, they, they make a point that um, people love an underdog story. Yeah. And so this is just one little thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. They love an underdog story and he pitches it to Chavez as an underdog story. Like, you know, you can beat this guy. It'll be a great story. People will tune in for it. Look how many people's tuned in to watch Rocky versus my dad for the first time. Blah, 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 blah. In the fight, everyone's just booing Dame. <laughs> like, all the crowd is like, who is this guy coming out of prison getting a shot? What an idiot. You know, everyone hates this guy. And I'm just like, he hasn't done anything villainous yet. He's the underdog in this fake story. Like, they've pitched it as an underdog getting a chance. Why do they hate him? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you saw that as a bit of a weird problem? Like, as a promoter, Adonis has done a pretty shit job if he's given an underdog fight to this guy who doesn't deserve a fight and everyone hates him. Because that's like... Uh, I don't know. It just, yeah. I guess so. But, I mean, 
I, I, I didn't find that as a issue myself, but um, I'd probably say that it's got something more to do with that people want, are vouching for the champion, right? And when you vouch for the champion, you sort of automatically just hate the other person. <laughs> Isn't that what they do in like WWE or something? <laughs> yeah, but generally, like, you, if you have a champion and you, like people love the champion, you're not going to throw a bum at him. Because in in the in the fake world, this guy's a bum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, who would you pay to watch the champion that you love beat up a bum? Or I mean, you- I mean, people paid lots of money to watch a YouTuber go up against a <laughs> professional boxer. No, but that's the thing, right? Like, the everyone wants to see the YouTuber get beat up in that scenario because they hate the YouTuber and they right. think he's a bum. Mm. Oh wait, wait. I'm not, I'm not I don't sure. know. I think everybody really likes that guy. That's why he's so popular on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 more about the fact of like creating a novel a novelty match, right? When you create a novelty Ooh. match, it's going to gain a lot of virality because it's odd. Like, why would you fight against a nobody, right? Why would you fight against a YouTuber? That's viral content that people want to see because it's. It's like seeing a pig fly or something, you know, it's out of the ordinary. So there's yeah. some kind of novelty and gimmick to it. It's a gimmick, right? This is not like the standard. It's a complete gimmick and people buy into gimmicks. <laughs> I just feel like, again, like you're giving a shot to a guy who's untested, who went to prison for a long time. Um, I am surprised they filmed it as if he was the bad guy coming into this fight. Like it would have been yeah. cooler in my opinion, if people were like, wow, this is an underdog guy. He's getting a shot. And everyone loved him, and then through his actions in the fight, people turned on him. Yeah, like, yeah, that that, that, that would make more sense. But see, that's when you actually write really good film, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go back to the beach, buddy. Yes, what are you? All right, all right. So we're on the beach, and I'm kind of like, why are we meeting <laughs> Damien on the beach? Because <laughs> he's he's a man of the people. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. I thought it was so odd. Like you go meet him on the beach, he's created like his own little paradise or whatever it is. It's yeah. like you're he's having a, a little bit of a party. Man. man of the people. Yeah, I Love guess it. he's a real thug. But you know why it's odd? It's because we don't see him in any other context other than either the gym or they're at a restaurant eating. <laughs> oh, he's got, he's got a broken down apartment, right? And then eventually, yeah. But like that, that's just you know that you have to have a point where he's going to go back home, I suppose. You know, so the apartment yeah. and where he goes back home doesn't matter so much. But the context that they put him in is, is supposed to lead you to believe that he is some kind of gangster or whatever. Um, if he had been in those kind of contexts. Leading up to that, it would have made a little bit more sense. It was just so odd that he had already created his little abode and a bunch of like what you would assume to be bodyguards and henchmen around. Him. Yeah, he's got like friends and, and henchmen. And it's just, a, just, a gun it just and like, no yeah. sense. It's like you've created I mean, this whole yeah. story around the character that we're so unaware of, and we're, we're, we're already like over an hour into the film. <laughs> yeah, no, it was bizarre. Thing. It was really, really bizarre. Uh, anyway, so he has this confrontation, and I actually kind of like the confrontation that they have. It's tense. You can see that there's there's some kind of uh, authenticity to their relationship. Um, but I think you just give that credit not to the dialogue or the script. You give the credit really to the performers, right? Because if, if it wasn't for Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jonathan Majors and their performances, I think the, I think this, the scene could have been empty, maybe just like the rest of the other scenes. But... Um, I like the performances in this. You really show that there was tension build up. And 
I wanted to see more of this kind of stuff happen yeah. way, way earlier because this this is where you start setting up that story between how he wants to become a fighter or go back into the ring, train, and then eventually verse him. But but see, even even in this part, because I because I realize maybe both me and you, we realize that this is the story that it's supposed to be, right? <clears throat> um, it's it still doesn't actually get mentioned that he wants to fight with him until like I, I think it's like 10 minutes after that <laughs> that beach sequence and you know what i hated how they did that we'll get to it but i hated it because <laughs> the same series of films have done it in a much better way mm-hmm. it's yeah. all i'm gonna say yeah um, yeah i think in this particular beach scene i agree with you i thought it was really good i, I hate the trope that like there's just miscommunication, but, you know, ignore that. I felt like uh, Michael B. Jordan, he generally just floats between, like, family man and angry man in this film. Whereas I think Jonathan Majors has, like, this kind of... And he does this as as Kang the Conqueror a lot as well. Like, this jovial but menacing kind of guy. And I really mm-hmm. quite like that in a villain who's, like, quietly confident. You know when he he's like, you know, I didn't need... I needed you before, but I don't need you now. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when he punches him in the face and he's like, you know, no threats here. Um, I forget what he said. Like, like, he yeah, says, like, like uh, let me take a look at you. You're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, like, that kind of stuff. I thought, like, he does a lot of the heavy lifting in a lot of the emotional scenes mm. in this film. Yeah, because I, I just think he's got better acting abilities than Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> hey, man, when he was Wallace in The Wire, he was great in that. <laughs> mm. No, Michael B is good. He's a really good actor, but Jonathan Majors has this like Shakespearean uh, depth to him, you know, and the way he delivers his lines, it's yes. really powerful, like super powerful. Um, which actually kind of makes I want to bring up what we brought up before the whole controversy around him being a um, a bit of a unhinged, um, violent person towards women and potentially anybody else with all the other yeah. stories that are coming around. When I'm watching his performance in this and I'm watching his anger, I'm kind of like, oh, it's almost like method acting, you know? I can that. <laughs> it's almost like method acting. I, I feel like this is something that's so natural for him. <laughs> it's hard to escape that when he's such a good actor and then also knowing that there's all this controversy around him being a little bit unhinged. I'm sort of thinking, hmm. Looking out. Maybe that's why he's so good. <laughs> funny, I remember I, I read a quote from, uh, oh, uh, I think it was like Robert Patterson, of all people. He talks about like method what acting. Mean, people? He's such a good actor. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, he sh- he goes on to say, and I liked it, it's like, you know, method acting, um, it's funny that everyone who ever does it, they're always an arsehole, right? Like, you never <laughs> see someone like act as... Bob Ross and do that method. You know, they're just going to walk around and be delightful to everyone at all times. <laughs> he's probably talking about Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, he's just like, you know, every time someone goes method, they're just a prick. Like, it's always a, an evil type. I don't think character. that applies to Daniel Day Lewis. I think he's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Like, um, you would be method with an evil character, right? No one ever really goes method for a nice character. Oh, sorry. Is that what you mean? Sorry. I, I understood yeah, that as like, exactly. it's, it's always like, like the pricks that do method acting. No, it's <laughs> like you, you always would go method for a terrible evil character. Cause I think that's much easier to do. Cause you have more, um, uh, you have more options of what you can do with that character. If you went for method acting for, 
a biographical character who was just always really nice, that might be quite hard. <laughs> so yeah, you have to be nice all the time. No one wants to do that. But to be to have an excuse to be a prick all the time, you, you jump at that. It's a bit concerning, <laughs> eh, for our, what our choices are as human beings. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, so... Um, that's the end of Act 2. Let's get into Act 3 on this last stretch. Uh, so Marianne suffers from another stroke and dies. And that's it. <laughs> I want to comment on that sentence sums it up perfectly. The amount of weight given to this moment, um, the amount of catharsis you get from it. Like It's, like it's literally, perfect, right? She has a stroke and she dies. Yeah, that's literally how the scene is. It's really, really sad. Um Michael B. Jordan shows a bit of emotion with his tears, but to me, you know, I'm not going to feel, I'm, I'm not going to fall for those tears, Michael B. No. Jordan. Just so there's not enough weight in any other scene. You've got to give more time to the mum. You've got to give more time matter. to the mum. Yeah, purely. And the dialogue that they have with the mum regarding the stroke and that kind of stuff, it's too thin. Oh, it's yeah. Way too like, thin. Should we talk about the, 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 the mum issue? And she's mm. like, I'm not moving out. And then it's like, it does allude to it, but I don't know what to think from that. No, like, has no. this been a recurring problem? Are they genuinely worried about her? Yeah, like how long has yeah. she been having these strokes? Like how many episodes has she had and how severe were these strokes? Like we don't ha- we don't have a greater understanding of the strokes or anything. It's no, really thin, lukewarm dialogue that amounts to nothing other than the fact that she just dies from it. And we've so, had three films. I don't actually know how much Michael B. Jordan like loves her. I don't yeah, know. Really. Yeah, this is true. Like, it's like, well, how strong is her relationship with her, really? Yeah. Um, they could have spent a lot of time focusing on that relationship, casting a net on you know, what kind of health complications she's had, maybe from the very beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, you know, you remove a lot of the unnecessary baggage that this film has and you focus on those types of things, especially if you kind of like kill off a pretty important character. To, you know what I mean? If, if she, you know how he retires to spend time with his wife and child? If he spent time to take care of his ailing mother, same outcome, different yeah. reason. That would have made just straight away, I'm like, oh, okay, Michael B. Jordan cares about her a lot. He's given mm. up his career for her. Yeah. That would make this so much more that would Yeah, that actually would have been a better reason for him to retire. <clears throat> because, yeah, it's just, it's so, mm, it's sad. It's actually sad that you would kill off a character like this. Yeah, for no reason. But no anyway. Reason. After a funeral, Donnie confesses to Bianca that uh, about the night of Dame's arrest, revealing Leon to be the abusive caregiver in their group home before he was adopted. After Donnie attacked Leon at the liquor store, the ensuing brawl with Leon's friend caused Dame to pull a gun. After Dame was arrested, Donnie never contacted Dame out of guilt. Mm. Uh, I mean, even this, it's like, Okay, I guess we have a little bit more reason why he doesn't really talk to Damien at all. He blamed the mummy's like, you you kept this from me. Yeah. He's like, bro, you had a chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's there's a lot of like added, um, I, I call them like microscripting. There's a yeah. lot of added microscripting where you just throw it in there as a way to try and validate these scenes that play out, which kind of amount to nothing really. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like the, as these flashbacks are coming back, I'm kind of getting a little bit tired of them and we're like almost at the end of the film and we haven't even <laughs> touched on the fact that he wants to fight Damien. 
Yeah, like, I think like finding out that he ran away and caused Damien to get arrested is a powerful thing in the sense that I understand now why he has so much guilt because he literally did like a bitch move to get his friend arrested. Mm. Um, yeah. But it, like, this is your protagonist, right? Like, I I don't know if I want like, am I supposed to support um, Adonis or do I actually feel bad for Damien and I want Damien to have his time as champion to have the future that was ripped from him. Because at this point in the film, I'm like, well, he kind of did a terrible thing. His friend took the fall for it. He never got contacted. He's kind of right to seek revenge. And he's actually not even seeking revenge. He essentially just wants to put his life on the path that he originally envisioned for himself. He never really attacks Donnie. And the Mm, thing that really pisses me off about this next scene, um, because like, you know, I'm going to read it. Just, just to get it out of the way. Yeah, encouraged by Bianca, Donnie decides to come out of retirement and challenges Dame for the championship. Right in this scene, it didn't make sense to me because he actually talk- he's talking to Bianca on that that bed, and he's like, "Damien said he's going to come for everything," and I'm like, "What? How does he have the means to do these things? Like, <laughs> on TV, he's the champion. Adonis is retired. There's nothing else for him to take, really." And he hasn't indicated any instance that he wants anything more from Madonna. Yeah. He got his shot. He's now the champion. What is he going to do? Like murder his kids? Like it's a, it was sort of a made up um, ad hoc piece of a script that is just completely arbitrary. Has nothing to do with with whether this the the character was going to think indifferent about it. It was really yeah. just a. Uh, empty reason for the character to challenge him. <laughs> exactly, it's like oh, he's going to come for everything. I have to fight him, and I'm like, no, yeah, because this is this is actually one of the biggest issues that I wanted to bring up more towards like the fight, which is we're pretty much up in the fight now. One of the biggest issues I had with this by the time it ended, I was like, huh, they, he had actually no motivation, not maybe motivation. He had no reason to fight him. The movie didn't give us a good reason for him to fight. Um, yeah. Damien at all because Damien never wanted to challenge him, yeah. and and then and then it sort of cast my mind back to the middle of the film. I'm like, at what point is Damien going to ask Creed to fight him? Because <laughs> yeah. they, they kind of like pepper these things out, where it's like Damien always thinks Creed is worse than him. He doesn't believe in Creed being better, and it's like just like little tiny nuggets that never get you know, eaten, I guess. I don't know which, I don't know how you want to call it. Yeah, like, yeah, I get you, I get you. <laughs> they're, they're there, and, like, they could have built into something, but they mm. didn't. They had enough time to. Yeah. And, like, the thing that really pissed me off about this, and this is, like, a callback to another Rocky movie, because I am a fan of the series. In um, this montage that happens, right, um, you know, they say, oh, Creed, you're all banged up and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the first half of the... This is, like, a classic montage where the first half, he doesn't really have the spirit, and then something happens within the montage, and he, like, finds his soul, and then he starts to, like, be really good at it. In this particular film, it's um, Victor Drago punches him in the face, knocks him down. And you know how, like, Victor Drago is, like, worried? Like, man, you don't have it anymore, and everyone's, like, kind of worried for him? And then he, like wills himself out via i don't know he, he thinks about the foster home or something and then he kind of wills himself out of it and then he's just all in like great um yeah <laughs> the what i wanted to bring this up was in this film he's just like i've got to fight him and bianca's like yeah you do <laughs> like, yeah she just says yeah you do what you gotta do and it's kind of weird because like i think did she want him to retire or 
she's having issues with the fact that she's had to retire as well and they got on the same page with that like it just seems odd that she's just straight away like yeah you've got to do this no like um she never she never mentions anything about her um having indifference about her like him retiring she was just always supportive of whatever he done <clears throat> and she was going to just she was going to do something a little bit different because it meant that you know the career that she had before with all the loud concerts and all that kind of stuff was being yeah, a little bit too much for her she couldn't do it so she changed her career as well but she she was never really in conflict with what his ambitions were yeah, and what he wanted to him. She didn't force him to retire, did she? Like, no, she no. Like, the, the movie doesn't actually explain why he needs to retire, other than the fact that they mention he's old now. You know, they yeah. always they always say, through vicariously through the other characters, all the other characters mention, oh, you're an old man, you're a grandpa, and all that kind of stuff. They even yeah. do that with Damien, because Damien's three years older. So, um, you're, you're sort of, you have to sort of believe that, believe that line of reasoning that the film is trying to tell you. But yeah. then I'm kind of like, well... You go with that, but then it's put you in this really bad position of trying to tell a credible story. And I think the retirement phase is way too early for a Creed trilogy. That retirement thing should be like maybe even the next film. Yeah. You know, this film should still be about him defending the title and then um, his long lost friend that he was bros with back in the day. He's come back for a little bit of a rent. And I think the revenge story could have played out to be a lot more valid as opposed yeah. to he wants to be a champion. You can have it both ways. Like the, the two motivations that Damien has, is that he wants to be a champion and he wants to take revenge and taking revenge is because he has, he has a problem with like how the whole scenario happened when he was taken away at the, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And like, he can actually just like target, uh, Creed, which makes it a much better film. Yeah, that would make it much more efficient in telling that story uh, as opposed to just Creed coming up with this idea that I need to fight him because he's going to take everything away from me. But like, we're not led to believe that him even winning the fight is going to stop someone like Damien. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, he's got guns. Like, yeah, he's got guns, he's got bros, he's like, he's like taking over a beach. It's like, he seems like a, a <laughs> tyrannical gangster or something. Like, what makes you think, like, proving to him, because it's supposed to be some of this, like, uh, code of conduct within pride. I don't know, right? Like, yeah. it, it's like unspoken rules between the bros, but I don't know that. Like, we do, we're just kind of making these things up as we go. Yeah. Anything that he could have possibly taken at that point, he can't do legally, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> there is nothing yeah. that they can take other than the championship, which he already has. Yeah. Everything else, you'll have to start murdering people. Of course. And, yeah. and then we'll turn into movie. like an action gangster film then at that point. So yeah. it was just bizarre. It was very, very bizarre how the how all the events culminated in this idea that he has to fight him now. But because... I just, I especially hated the fact that Bianca was just immediately receptive because I thought that there was like, her role in this film, like I, like let's say for example, she was pushing for him to retire, maybe to take care of the mother or something. I don't know. Um, and she has all this guilt in her heart about the fact that she's been forced to retire. And okay, I don't know how that plays into it, but in Rocky Two, just want to sort of throw this back to like a really long time ago, and maybe this would have been bad to like rehash an old storyline. But in Rocky Two, um, Rocky's wife doesn't want him to take the fight because. In the first one, he gets brutalized, right? And so his heart's not in it for a long time. And then eventually she wakes up from a stress-induced coma 
And Rocky's like, I don't need to do the fight. I don't need to do the fight. And then she's like, I need you to do one thing, and I want you to win. And then he's like, oh, my wife supports me. And then he starts kicking ass in his training. Mm-hmm. I felt something along those lines where, like, Bianca's belief in him would be the catalyst of him starting to do well in training would have been just much better, um, I guess, end point for the fact that the family is a big part of this trilogy. Because I don't know what she really adds even now. Like, I know in the second film we're like, oh yeah, she adds a fair bit more. But in reality, I think if she didn't exist in the first three films, like all of these films, I don't know what you lose. Because she's just not a really big part in his story outside of the fact that it just shows that he has a relationship. Mm, yeah, that's true. You sort of have to think about the whole franchise and like, okay, I guess for any kind of superstar boxer, you have to have all these people around you, right? You have to have a girlfriend, you have to have a mother, you have to have yeah. a father or whatever. You have to have like, antagonists who are just like enemies from the past or whatever. Um, I guess like in the Rocky films, she's like a real source of strength and a real source of support. And she's like really powerful in that regard. Whereas in this one, I feel like she's kind of just a hanger on and I don't understand what she yeah, really She has. definitely plays a much more passive character in this one compared to number two number yeah. one she just doesn't really exist at all <laughs> but yeah she's she takes a more of a passive back seat in this in regards to um whether or not her her husband is going to be a success or not i think she just kind of goes yeah. with whatever he believes and maybe that's got something to do with the fact that she's learned to build a bit more about his vulnerability of the past yeah. maybe it's got something to do with that but also it's kind of like what you're saying it's like uh it doesn't really enrich the story at all, actually. <laughs> I would have actually preferred they keep her and they just, like, use key moments to entrench her in his life. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not that... Okay, and, and it seems silly, like, oh, she has to support her man or like that, like, mm. you know, and that kind of stuff. But no, it's more like the supporting character need to support the main character. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm trying to say. But, I mean, even for, like, her type of role, I feel like her type of role should be giving the type of advice that is good for him and the family, you know? So it, it kind of would have been a better thing for her to to object to the fact that he's going to go back in the ring. Because, that would have been great. Yeah, that would have been great. She would have said, hey, you got to think about your daughter. Like, you've had all these injuries, which we're, yeah. we're touching up on all these injuries during the montage. <laughs> it's like she could have actually spoken about all these injuries and saying, you cannot go out there and, um, and blah, blah, blah. You know, what if you didn't ever come back? What if, you, what if you're not going to be able to see your daughter live or anything like that? You know, stuff like that. I think would have been yeah. so much more better for her character. That would have been so good. Like, just if she objected and that source of conflict was a problem and then eventually gets resolved in a way that's emotionally gratifying, yeah. would have been fantastic. Mm. But yeah, anyway, that was probably one of my biggest issues with the film. Yeah, it's a big issue, I think. <laughs> um, okay, so after training with Duke and a recovered Drago, Donnie faces Dame in the Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, at Dodger Stadium. In a grueling, evenly matched affair, Donnie has visions of his abusive foster home and Dame's life in jail, leading to a knockdown in the final round. Uh, that's round 12, I believe it is, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of rounds. Donnie knocks out. No, you see like three of them, right? Like it's a lot of rounds that actually <laughs> happen, but you, like, I actually wish I saw more of them. Yeah. I yeah. really do. It was pretty, like, the fight was quite quick considering how many rounds there were. I was surprised when he was like, and knocks like, him out in two minutes of the 12th round. I was like, 12 rounds? <laughs> yeah, it's like round one, and then they go into, like, prison, and then the entire, like, 10 more rounds happen within that prison, and then they just sort of get out of prison, and then he knocks him over. Yeah. I had lots of problems with this fight. 
like massive problems. Like the random jump to a, a new location. <laughs> I didn't hate that. I didn't hate that because like the way that again the the way the plot talks about it is like, um, oh, like these two they're having a personal fight. They don't care about what's happening around them, right? And I'm like, okay, I can sort of see that. Yeah, I got that like straight away. I knew that's what they were going for. Did it land? I was kind of like, I don't know if this I lands. I don't. Well, know. I just like the the fights to have a storyline. Now, like a couple of things. One. Dane cheats a lot in the first one. He doesn't cheat at all in the second one, really. Like, he doesn't. And, like, does he... Maybe he's like, you know what? I don't think Adonis is better than me. Um, I can take him out without even cheating. You know, he's just a little brother to me forever. Hmm. Maybe, but he never says it. So we're left to wonder that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, he's this big, strong guy, right? And Adonis is smaller. So... Maybe there should have been some sort of like storyline in the fight of avoiding Damien's strength, um, and like I don't know, like like I find that Creed fights the same way, where he just like throws hooks at everyone, and it's kind of disappointing where he's fighting his like um, you know childhood best friend, like Mm -hmm. maybe he's really emotional and he starts throwing a lot of hooks and then that plays into Damien's strategy and then Damien just uses his power to beat the shit out of him and then he gets some sort of clarity for some reason, decides to fight smartly, ties him out, knocks him down, right? That's like, there you go, you've got like a storyline fight. Whereas here, I just don't know what's going on and then eventually Adonis wins. Yeah, it's, um... It just goes back to us not really knowing a lot about their relationship. <laughs> so this personal fight that they have at the end, and it's all um, expressed in this really visual, supposed to be captive anyway. To me, I wasn't really convinced. And I think part of me not being convinced about this whole visual change was because I just don't know enough about their relationship. Like, it's it's still... It's still kind of like, I want to know more. And I think this scene would have benefited a lot more and I would have taken away a lot more if we'd actually learned that relationship <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, like I, I walk away from this thinking, oh, they just wanted to prove they were better than the other person. And I'm like, with everything we've seen so far, that should not be the driving focus. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> like, it should, <laughs> should be a lot more. It's just, it's just too shallow. And I think because we, we don't, like the lead up and the build up to this was so short. And it came out of nowhere. And the reasons for this fight happening came from something that had nothing to do with any of the story arcs or the character arcs. Yeah. I agree with that. So, yeah, the whole visual component just didn't land for me in that respect because I was like, man. And, like, the movie did a lot of heavy lifting to make this emotional. Like, you've got so many flashbacks. You know their whole story in a way. And, like, the idea that, like, the fight, like, Damien's, like, really, you know, you've ruined my whole life. I'm back now. Adonis is like, you lied to me, you betrayed me, blah, blah, blah. Like, there, mm. there was so much there willing to go, but it just never happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit odd. A little bit odd. So, Donnie knocks out Dame to win the match and regain the championship. Afterward, Donnie reconciles with Dame, with both men admitting it was not their, their other's fault. I remember this in the changing room where they have that conversation. Yeah. Donnie goes up to him at the end inside his changing room. He says, uh, it's not, oh, he, he said it was like, doesn't he say it's my fault? And then he said, no, it's my fault. Or does he say it's. Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, it wasn't all your fault, man. And I, mm. so I like the idea of this. I would have been mad if this scene didn't happen. Mm. But again, for them to just kind of like 
vaguely sweep it under the rug was not enough for me. No, it wasn't. I knew it was going to be undercooked anyway because we'd got so far in the movie where everything was completely undercooked and I was like thinking, okay, this scene is going to be them just making up with each other, right? Yeah. And just tying those loose ends and then maybe going, hey, you know, see you on the other side or whatever, or, you know, we'll see you down the road. And he sort of leaves the chain, that changing room by saying, he has the last word, Donnie has the last word. He says, if you need anything, you know where to find me. It's kind of like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I felt that too. Just like, oh man, you won. It's like, yep. Yeah. My fault. No, I wasn't. All right, you're gonna find me, I'll see you now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, shouldn't you go, you know, to your party? And he's like, Yeah, I should. I'm like, like <laughs> it would have been so much cooler. This would have been so much cooler mm. um if he's like about to leave and then he says, Hey, are you hungry? Mm. And then they just like duck out just them two. Yeah. It's a subtle change, but I think like the idea that like their relationship is kind of on the mend and he sees it as important now. Yeah, yeah. And actually would have um that would have made sense also for the first time that they meet up. You know, he says to him, "Hey, let's go for, let's go for some grub," and they go for some grub in the in the restaurant. So yeah. that probably could have been a better way to tie it up and maybe give a little bit more relevance to their connection. But like to leave it like that, um, so open ended, and also just um, a pointless fight, fake, man. Well, yeah, the, like- the fight itself is pointless, and then for them to just kind of. Uh, okay, you know it's we're we're all, we're kind of all good now. It's like I don't I, like I think the fact that he loses gives him more reason to think should give him more reason to think that he's going to take everything away from him. Yeah, like <laughs> it's me. It's like okay, look, like, I, I might have friends, right? And I might meet a friend, and let's say he's not doing so well, and I might say, "Oh, hey, you know where to find me." I don't expect him to take me up on that offer. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. That's not the kind of statement you make when yeah. you genuinely want to help someone out. Yeah, it's true. So the logic behind all this it doesn't doesn't add up at all. But you know, at this point of the film, it's like a lot of the things are just empty. Just it empty. really rubbed me the wrong way that it was like a two-hour film where like just nothing was tied out clo- like well. Nothing was tied out well. No. None of the things that mattered had any reason for them to occur. No. Donnie joins yep. Bianca and Amara in the ring in the empty stadium. Oh my gosh, this is the cringe part. Oh, I hated oh, this part. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah joins the the ring. Oh, sorry, in the ring in the empty stadium where he pretends to box with Amara. As Donnie and his family leave the ring, he looks out to the empty Dodger Stadium. Ah, oh, it's such a cringe way to end the film. I didn't need this thing at all. <laughs> I didn't need like, it. it was yeah. like tie, trying to tie it back to this idea of like, oh, she aspires to be a boxer. <laughs> yeah, like. You can connect with your daughter if she doesn't want to do your career. Like, I think they keep throwing, like, oh, he's a family man, he's a family man, he's a family man. And I'm Mm. like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't help the plot at all. No, no. It just detracts and kind of adds really stupid ideas to what the characters should be. Um, Yeah. It's just so random. It means nothing. There and she's hugging him and she's like, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, you know, I love you. And I'm back now. And I'm not like, it wasn't really in question that they were going to break up or anything. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe he's alluding to this idea of like, you know, I've been stuck in this, this, uh, uh, tw- I don't know, like an individual twilight zone where you have, you have known nothing about me and I'm not really part of my family, but it's like, we never felt that we never felt that he was detached from his family at all anyway. So yeah, like, exactly. 
Yeah. That like, line, I'm back, it's like, again, another empty statement. <laughs> it would have been cool. Okay, this is equally as cringe, right? But I think it's a better cringe because it, it reminds me of, like, an 80s film. Let's say, for example, he goes with um, Damien to go get food and then the daughter's there with the wife and the daughter's like, where's daddy? And, like, they're at the party or something and, and she says, oh, he's, you know, getting a friend or he's taking care of business oh, or he's, no. he's, he's oh, no. coming, whatever like some <laughs> sort of statement like that <laughs> equally cringe but i would have liked it better uh, yeah i suppose so it's <laughs> i don't know that's that's pretty cringe <laughs> cringe but you know like she acknowledges that he has he's putting effort into a relationship that he's put off for so long and blah 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 blah. it's the culmination of this particular film storyline i don't know it's cringe but you know what if that happened i wouldn't have been surprised like yeah. you know, if that happened, I would have been like, oh, okay, cool. I I guess you know they're on the mend. You know they're trying yeah. to make up for each other, whatever that was. But still, doesn't answer all the other really empty things that happened in the film. Really yeah. bizarre. Um, so I guess I guess like you know, that's the another recap, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess in summary, what I would like to say is that this whole film could have easily be restructured and more efficient and better in in depth and emotion. If they'd remove guys like Chavez from the story, yep. if, um, if the story was then focused on him not being retired, you know, him just defending the title, doing his best, and then at the same time building his, he can still build his gym, he can still build like what that brand would be um, simultaneously with him defending his title. You know, he's trying to build a legacy and defending his title, and then focus on like what's happening with his mom and how his mom is involved because. Even as much as like Creed 2, for both of us, Creed 2 was really, really good. Um, the mom still feels very uninvolved in his life. Yeah, she's packed on she's, in all three films. She's just like there because he has a mom. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's going to serve some kind of convenience when it only feels convenient. But she's not really attached to the story at all. And I feel like this movie could have been a good opportunity to show that she means something to the story. Yeah, I I think so. Like like they kill her off, so she should have meant something, but she hadn't by now. No, and that's quite depressing in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so the fact that this whole movie is the way it is, it's just the lead up and the build up to what the ultimate fight was. It was just tacked on the end. It was kind of like, hey, let's make this film, and we're like, oh my god, we forgot about the main story. Yeah, let's put it on the last like fifteen minutes of the film. Yeah, <laughs> I felt that as well. Like it's just. There's so much going on, and so much of it leads nowhere. Yeah, it's like because because I remember kind of like you know I just saw it right. I remember like like not hating what I'm watching. I'm just like okay, these are this is cool. It's kind of cool, but then I had to sort of think to myself, I was like, why does it feel unsatisfying though? Like <laughs> why why is it that I'm like watching this film and I feel unsatisfied? What's going on? I'm actively hating it as I'm watching. It. I was like, <laughs> why is this happening why is this going on who's this guy why is he here like i was actively hating yeah yeah yeah, i can see that like a lot of the characters just yeah because the thing that i tend to focus on is always like does this make sense for the character to do Mm. and this film was just awful at that this is all the thing that triggers me yeah well well, i mean that that's what happened at the beginning of the film with donnie a being retired but but even like the first scene where you see him on the roof not the roof but you know his fancy mansion has got this massive view he's like asleep 
which by the way, I thought that was terrible acting with him sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what is this sleep acting? It looks horrible. I'm not convinced at all. Anyway, he gets woken up by his deaf daughter and all that stuff. Even at that point, we don't know that he's retired because it's right at the beginning of the film. Um, But um, the way that that sets up the character to eventually learning that he's going to retire, I'm like, oh, I don't like the taste of this, but I'm going to go along with it. I'm going to go along with the ride and see how this ends up. And then surely enough, it doesn't end up well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he could be close to retirement in this film, but like the fact that he's retired forces you to create this Chavez character. Yeah, yeah, it forces um, you to make stupid narrative decisions. That's that's exactly what had yeah. happened. And like, it also makes me wonder. Like, ah, I don't know. Is it one of those things where, like, hmm, this guy just came out of prison? If I was in my prime and I'm fighting, he can't beat me. It doesn't make sense. I have to be retired, or else it's not fair. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You can make that guy like a prison boxing champ, right? Like, and in prison, it's way harder than anyone thinks. I don't but know. See, like, 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 like the story could have turned out that we learn about the character of Damien all throughout his prison years, right? Yeah, like that would have like been, that would have been, been way cooler. A single minute of Damien in prison, and I would have loved that. Yeah, that would have been so much better. And and giving that character the motivation to beat um, Donnie because Donnie's living the life. Because he says it, right? He's like, you're he living... says it like multiple times. Like, yeah, you're I living, the, living my life. Yeah, living my life. That could have been a way better motivation for that character to fight him in there. Yeah. And he says it like it is his motivation, but he doesn't act on it in a particular yeah, because he doesn't, way. He doesn't even he doesn't even allude to a challenge. He doesn't even say, I want to fight you. He just says, yeah. you live the life that I, li- that I was supposed yeah. to live. <laughs> and like... That's fine too if you want to make the character like that, and like I guess they do. But then he's just emotionally weak because I don't know why they're fighting each other. Yeah, it's it's apparently because he's going to go after everything. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just silly. That's silly. Jeez. But okay. So, what rating would you give it? <laughs> okay, so I had a rating to start with this, right? And the rating I had to start with, this, and this happens all the time in the recap. Maybe I think maybe more so for you and less so for me because I'm usually yeah. quite confident in what my rating is before we recap. I but, shift all the time, but, yeah. but I feel like I'm you in this scenario. Oh, <laughs> so the initial rating that I gave this was eight out of ten. Oof, that's high. It's high, dude. And I'm now going to give it six. <laughs> I okay. So yeah. Fully agree. Not with the initial eight, because I was hating it as I was watching it. I was locked in on a six. I'm you this time. I was locked in on a six the entire time. I was just like... There you go. These are not complex films. Like They shouldn't be hard to do well. And I I think the issue that this film has is that it tries to be a complex film. Yeah. But really doesn't know what to do with it. Because... Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Because, like, like, yeah, like, th- it's a sports film, right? Like, you got a guy, you like him already, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it, you don't have to get too deep into storylines here. Yeah. Um, just have, give us one powerful one and follow it through to the end. Yeah. Do you think Do you think uh, 6 out of 10 is good for Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut? I mean, I feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, like some directorial debuts can be like threes out of tens. I feel like six out of ten is a very good score for him. Yeah, but it's such a high budget, right? Like it's it's mm. it's, it's, it's like kind of like a slam dunk in a way. It's a high budget film with characters we know and love. Mm. 
um, you get a chance to like me create a whole backstory that's like, look, on paper it sounds super engaging. True. So, I mean, I'm surprised the studio went along with it. I'm surprised the studio just allowed Michael B. Jordan to direct this. Oh yeah, okay, kind of crazy. Point. That's a little yeah. bit crazy in my mind. It's like, well, studios are willing to. I don't. Know, I don't know if they're willing to do whatever, but it just it's it's a bizarre choice that you just give a very expensive film or franchise experience expensive franchise to someone who has never directed before. That's just odd Wait, to can me. Give me one second. My laptop's about to turn off. <gasps> laptop. All right, I'm back. Hello, welcome back. Yeah, Rajan. <laughs> nice. You got down to 8%. We're, we're pretty much at the end of the episode anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I know. I just want to rush you. That's good. So, 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. Mm, what's next on the agenda? What would you like to do next? Because this was your idea to do the Creechility. This was so. my idea. This was rough, though. I mean, like... Um, I felt like we had a lot of scheduling conflicts with this particular one, so I felt bad about that. <laughs> You know what, what are you doing next? What's, what's your plan? The next film to... Sorry, I'm eating candy. Yeah, nice. Mm, the next film on the agenda is uh, The Flash, which comes out in a couple of weeks. Oh, damn. Mm. Okay. So The Flash... Um, yeah, Michael Keaton, yeah. I feel like that should have been a secret from day one, but... huh? No, the pseudo decided to say, hey, we have Batman. I feel like people nowadays, like this is happening all over, right? Like um, they don't trust people to go watch things or word of mouth to do anything. Right. And they don't let people get surprised anymore. It's, it's quite sad for me because I love a good like shock. Like, yeah, you know, in true. No Way Home, mm-hmm. you weren't shocked by the other Spider-Man. Mm. Well, and no, I, I was shocked. Weren't. I thought you said you, you read about it or something. You saw like, like it's what, no, no, it's one of those things where we all were like ninety nine point nine percent sure that those actors were going to be involved, but yeah. that remaining point zero 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 one percent is the doubt that we don't have uh, official confirmation. Right? That's right, the, that's okay. that that was that scenario. So even though we were that sure that those actors were going to show up, it was still a massive surprise. Right, because for me, you know, I go in blind every time. Yeah, so you blocked yourself out from all the rumors that were happening. Well, I mean, it's not really a blockout. I just don't look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm sort of deep in that rabbit hole of MCU nerdiness, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's always been reported that these actors were seen on set and blah, blah, blah. Like, there was all these different pictures that were getting leaked and people were saying that these pictures are just all Photoshopped, that's actually not real, and then... Yeah, it was a whole kind of whirlwind of um, rumors and stories, uh, but to see it happen in theater, geez, it was it was pretty yeah, spectacular. I, I thought that film was fantastic. And oh, I it was amazing it was because of how surprising it was, right? Yeah, we and loved it. We loved it. Being able to see that there was Batman, mm. but not like saying, "Okay, Batman's in this film," right? And then everyone would assume it's Ben Affleck, and that would have been a great expectation to walk in with. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then be completely surprised that it's Michael Keaton. But, um, like, yeah, there's two Batmans in this. It's Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck, you know, of two different oh, they're universes. Both in it, they're see? both in it, yeah. Oh, see, now you ruined it for me. Oh, <laughs> dude, it's in the trailer. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, I didn't even notice. Okay. You didn't notice? <laughs> no, I noticed Michael Keaton's Batman. I was like, oh, I was like, oh okay, Ben cool. Affleck's Batman is the first one you see. 
Oh, right. Oh, he's the one that says that you can go back in time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, and he's the one that warns him, like, don't do it because you'll break stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's also on the on the bat pod. He's on the motorcycle. Has there been a lot about, like, I know uh, Ezra Miller, he's that kind of a weird dude too, right? Is there, yeah. is there much thoughts on what's going to happen? I don't there? know. It's like, seems like the same kind of scenario situation as um, Jonathan Majors. But, oh, okay. you know, they seem to still back the fact that he's going to play Flash. And the director just came out recently saying that um, if they do a sequel, they're not going to recast um, Flash. Oh, okay. That's what he said, but... And yet they recast the man. Yeah. Yeah. With a chick and called a Supergirl. <laughs> oh, is she like the new... Is that it? Like, well, no, no. So she's the Superman of this universe because he's gone to a different universe. You know? Yeah, okay. So the Superman of this different universe is not Henry Cavill's Superman. So as far as we're concerned, Henry Cavill's Superman still exists in a different universe, but we're just not going to take a look at that anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. He's still flying around doing stuff. He's still flying around doing stuff in his own universe. Um, there's a brand new Superman that comes out in 2025. Um, that's called Superman Legacy. And that's yeah. a whole recast, reshoot type thing. You know, they're following Superman's story from when he's a teenager all the way up to his like Smallville years in college, university, all that kind of stuff. Um, is that TV show or is that like? Well, it's going it's to be a film. Yeah. And the film is already, it's already written. The script is finished. James Gunn's doing it. It's another reboot. Yeah. Yeah. James Gunn's doing it. He's directing and he wrote, he wrote the whole script. Right, okay. Because it's like, you've got Man of Steel is like a reboot. You've got Spy- uh, Superman 1, I guess, way back when. Mm. No, 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 Superman 1 way back when. He's already like Clark Kent by then, right? Yep. He's already and he's Clark Kent got- and Superman, yeah. Um, yeah. Man of Steel is not necessarily a reboot because that's like an origin story. Whereas there hasn't been a Superman movie that's an origin story. He's always well, been- this one will be a reboot of that origin story, though. This one will be... Uh, a, a reboot, but the first time doing a origin origin story <laughs> from when he's a child, from when he's like a right. teenager. Yeah, that origin story has only been told in TV series format, which is Smallville. You know, actually, interesting. I would love it if this film there is no big bad, there's no like big evil person. It's really just about him finding his feet. I think that's probably. I'm assuming that's what James Gunn is doing with the story, um, because the biggest challenge that uh, Superman always battles is the fact that he has to come to grips with um him being a human and splitting that identity or the having that identity crisis between him being kryptonian and him being human um so that's one of the biggest battles and all this all the superman writers have followed that same kind of character through line um and even some yeah. of the best superman stories which i think is like all-star superman it's a great story you should read that i haven't seen it Oh, it's a comic book, right? Comic book, yeah. Yeah. Really good comic. I think it's one of the best Superman stories. And I think that's what um, I think that's what James Gunn is going with. He's going with the all-star Superman story, which, by the that's way, cool. yeah, which, by the way, is like one of the main inspirations for Man of Steel. So if you watch Man of Steel and you read all-star Superman, a lot of that origin story is from that comic See, story. Yeah. I, I thought like Zod... Um, was like kind of just like this kind of thing that got thrown at the end. I didn't love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wasn't the most convincing villain. He's a good actor, good performer. I think he's yeah, the best but... Zod that we've ever seen. I mean, the only other Zod we've seen is Tyrion Stamp. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't even... <laughs> Superman, <laughs> I don't even know who that is. He's like super like... camp. 
Um, oh, I love camp. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, Superman Legacy it could be really good. I hope. I mean, I think James Gunn is a great director and is a good writer. I don't think Volume Three was great. But <laughs> Volume Three of what? Guardians. You didn't like it? Mm, not necessarily. Wow. Okay. Like, did it was, you review it? Was, that? Yeah, reviewed it. Oh, okay, man, I had a really great time with that one. I mm-hmm. and I don't actually love Guardians that much. Like, it's actually my favorite one. Oh, is it really? You like yeah, it yeah, than I like it more one. Than, I liked it more than one. I, okay, it and one um, was like kind of a tough battle in my mind. But then I actually realized I think I like three better. Mm-hmm. But it's like it goes three one two. Mm. Oh, three one and then like two is like a fair bit lower. interesting yeah but i yeah, thought I uh, never... yeah i thought volume three was the weakest out of all three wait we reviewed that one didn't we yeah i think we did <laughs> i think i'll do that shit shit <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a... i had to like think of think about that for a second i was like wait Pretty sure you reviewed that with we reviewed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I remember doing that. No, I think if if I was an effusive back then, let me go back. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> okay, all right. We should probably wrap this up though, because we're doing the same thing that we usually do on the, on these episodes, yes. and we just got on a tangent. But um, <laughs> thank you to the listener for sticking in for this review. We've wrapped up the Creed series now, and uh, if there's another series that you would like us to review and recap. Hit us in the comments, you know, when we post on Instagram or hit us in the DMs on this Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can find how to follow us, which is our podcast and also our individual handles. It'll be in the show notes. So just click at the bottom. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Tony, any last words? No, thanks for listening. <laughs> if you made it this far, like, seriously well done. i am impressed well done i am very very impressed don't think don't forget to give us a thumbs up or a star on um spotify you know feel free to just give whatever give us an honest star you know a five no, is no, fine no, not an honest yeah five five please yeah Nothing honest five. five that's that'll be very very <laughs> be very very grateful for the star. <laughs> um yeah thank you so much and we will t- catch you guys in the next episode of legit cool podcasts